Welcome to SF Music Tech, if this is your first session of the day. This is the getting attention in a short attention span world, all right? Um, my name is Dimitri Vitsa. I'm with Rock, Paper, Scissors. Uh, we are a PR firm that specializes in music tech PR. We also work with artists. We do um, PR mostly with international artists, artists from Mali and Senegal and France and India and all over the place. That's, that's what we do. I got invited to do this panel um, about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> uh, the original moderator had some issues with the smoke and the air, and uh, so we're the last three standing. And one of our panelists, Eddie, was... Uh, Stuck in traffic. He's on the freeway somewhere. <laughs> on the way from Sacramento. So this is what you got. Are you okay with that? Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> By the end of the session, we hope all three of us will still be here. Uh, so anyway, to my right here is Kevin Bruner. He's the VP of Marketing at CD Baby uh, in Portland, Oregon. He's also a musician. Um, and uh, say hello, Kevin. Hello. Good job, Kevin. <laughs> Thanks. Mike, how do you say your last name? Feedback. That's what I always yeah. said. Feedback. Feedback. Yeah, like not feed feedback, like but feedback. Like Mike feedback. Like Mike, like microphone. Mike, Mike microphone yeah. feedback yeah. in the house. Yeah. So Microphone started a company called <laughs> Fame House. He's the founder and CEO, which is a, um, a variety of things, but it's a digital agency, uh, specializes in helping artists with marketing, e-commerce, direct-to-fan, and more, which he'll talk about as well. Um, did I leave anything out of either of your introductions? We'll get to it all. We'll get Yeah. We'll all right, cool. Um, is this on? Yeah. Can you guys hear know. me? I don't know if this is. Oh, yes. All good. Right, we're good. Cool. Um, so, first of all, raise your hand if you're a musician. Raise it high. Come on, be proud. Oh, there's a lot of All here. right. See, told you, man. Um, <laughs> raise your hand if you have a startup or are going to have a startup. Okay, cool. Raise your hand if you have an established music tech company because I know sometimes you don't like to call it a startup anymore. Are you guys just raising your hand over and over again? <laughs> uh, raise your hand if you're like a developer, hacker, engineer, designer kind of person. Okay, yep. Um, how about you're a, s a services company? Like, uh, how, all right, how many lawyers are here? How many lawyers are here? Uh, how many marketing firms are here? How many PR firms are here? <laughs> Me. Uh, 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 who did I leave out? How, how many of you have not raised your hand yet? Artist managers. Oh, artist, artist managers. managers. Artist yeah. managers, thank you. How about distribution companies? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Record labels? Oh, yeah, record labels? Brick and mortar retailers. <laughs> agencies. What kind of agencies? Booking agencies? Uh, digital agencies? Okay. Anyone get left out? It's a pretty diverse room in terms of the roles. I saw, I didn't see like any, I mean, there were a lot of musicians actually, but uh, I didn't see any like overwhelming categories. So. Um, so let's, let's start off with, um, with, with just checking the pulse on, I mean, this is really a marketing conversation. You talk about attention span. Let's talk about what, you know, where do you see kind of the, the world of, of marketing and get, getting attention? Um, you guys primarily work with musicians. We'll get into talking about startups as well. Um, but what, what's the pulse of where, where, where are things, where have things gone recently and, and where are things with like how you approach marketing and artists? I mean, I think we're in a we're in a place where the digital space has matured a lot more, you know, and, and these platforms that were new are no longer new, you know, and, and Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and uh, your your direct to fan communication portals are just it's now no longer digital marketing. It's no longer we can call it social media, we can call it digital marketing, but it's really just marketing. I mean 
And um, so I think the space has kind of normalized and there are going to be new players. There's going to be new technology that emerges, but I don't think that those major players are going anywhere anytime soon. And um, what we talk about a lot at Fame House is what we call the, the storytelling paradigm. And we think we're in this kind of era of the storytelling paradigm where all these platforms have these different mechanisms to reach your audience and these different ways to engage with your audience and these different ways to charge you to engage with your audience because that's how they make their money. But um, the, the power that the artists have in this equation is their ability to tell a story across all these platforms because the artists are in a big way the reason why uh, these platforms have an audience, you know, and, and they're the reason why people come back to these platforms to engage uh, with the artists that they love. So uh, what we help our clients do is to tell their story across these platforms in a way that is uh, unique and, and creates a brand for themselves uh, across all of these platforms in a unique way. So uh, I think we're in a place where uh, technology uh, innovation will continue, but a lot of these things that were once new are now kind of normalizing. Um, and it's about figuring out how to reach and engage your audience across all of these platforms in a unique way, knowing that it's going to continue to be a part of your marketing mix for a long time. I'd agree with what uh, Mike was saying, especially the, the story aspect. I mean, that's one thing that I'm always telling artists that first you need to stop and figure out what's your story, what makes you unique, why should anybody care? Uh, we see it over and over again at CD Baby where an artist has new music and they go spam everybody saying, buy my music, buy my music, buy my music, but they haven't really given the audience any reason to care. And uh, especially you're talking about attention span, that's you know, the part of the subject matter, breaking through that uh, lack of attention span maybe, that uh, you gotta have, think about the end user, what kind of value are you providing them? And a lot of times, especially as artists, we are pretty focused on what we're hoping to accomplish. We wanna sell some music or stream some music so we can eat and then maybe pay some bills and maybe keep this career going. And uh, it's really easy to get focused on that and forget about what your fans might be wanting to hear, what they may need, and really tailoring the message that way and building a broader story that sometimes can be more important than the music itself, this story that draws people in, that helps them identify their community and, and the niche that you're speaking to. Don't be salesy, right? Like yeah. Create a story, engage, but, but don't try to sell every time. And, th and then I'd say the flip side of that is something that you know, uh, using the term, the medium can be the message. I think that really applies on the flip side of the storytelling paradigm. There's this ability to tell a story uniquely across platforms, but then there's a bit, the ability to use the actual medium itself as the message, right? There are artists that have become popular because they used a new technology in a unique way for the first time. And I think that that's a really important part of the marketing mix in this day and age because if you were one of the first artists to use Snapchat in a unique way, it could be what helped you break as an artist, you know? And, and that's, that's something that's generally new and, and I think will continue um, as new technology emerges and as the existing technology platforms roll out new tools for artists to use. You know, I was just realizing probably some people have not heard of your company before. Um, and just to contextualize some of the conversation so that you're not just like this random blowhard on a panel. <laughs> why, why, why don't you just mention some of the types of artists you've worked with? And I mean, you don't have to go down the whole roster, but just, sure. just to give people a little context. 
So Fame House is a company I started um, in 2011 after having worked for DJ Shadow for five years. Uh, I was kind of his digital slash merch guy. Uh, and I saw this, you know, kind of gap in the market to create a company helping artists with their digital presence and their and their merchandise. And I started Fame House. My early clients were DJ Shadow, Pretty Lights, Josh Wing, kind of the DJ world. Um, but the company grew really quickly, grew to about 20 people. We got some kind of early breaks on the client roster. Eminem was an early client. Shady Records, his label, was an early client. Um, grew to it about 20 people. We sold the business to a company called SFX Entertainment um, in 2013. That did not work out so well. I won't get into those <laughs> details. Um, but we were able to get out of that situation, and now we're a part of Universal Music Group, and we power web stores and digital marketing strategy and campaigns for uh, artists like Eminem still to Lady Gaga to Alicia Keys to um, Pearl Jam, Ice Cube. Um, so a lot of hip-hop, a lot of rock. Um, and uh, we're, we're a wholly owned subsidiary of Universal Music Group. So we, we kind of are the brains behind a lot of the digital strategy, but also the e-commerce and social media marketing for those artists. So now you get a little sense of where he's coming from. He's not just like making some of this stuff up. He's <laughs> tried some of it in the trenches with some artists that actually got some traction, which is kind of cool to hear. And then actually, we might as well contextualize yeah. too. How, how many of you heard of CD Baby? Are you familiar with it? Okay, some people haven't. Um, so maybe just a little bit about like what you do and for whom. Yeah, we're, we're a music distribution company. We've uh, we're actually coming up on our 20th anniversary as uh, an independent distribution company, which is really cool. Um, now, you know, our goal is to help artists monetize their music in as many ways as possible. We do publishing, we do digital distribution, we do YouTube monetization and moving into things like lyrics and all that kind of stuff. So wherever there's opportunity for independent artists to make money from their music, we're trying to be there for them. Uh, we also have some other brands that uh, we've been acquiring and launching. We have a marketing platform called Show.co, which is uh, a really cool marketing platform that's been fun to uh, turn on, uh, turn artists on to. And then, uh, yeah, so we, we've got a, a bunch of new brands that we're working with and just trying to help artists get their music out there. We use Show.co at Fame House a lot, and they have this new feature, uh, the, the Spotify pre-save, which is, is really cool feature for, for any artist, really, to yeah. use in this. What's pre-save? It allows you to uh, pre-save, have your fans pre-save your music to their Spotify catalog. So, so before it's released, even? Yeah, yeah. it's in place of uh, the pre-sale that you would do in iTunes. It's kind of the version for a streaming world. So, so like as soon as it hits on Spotify, you automatically are getting however many fans already kind of subscribe to that music. Yeah, and it triggers things like Discover Weeklies and all this other stuff that helps. So. I'll repeat the question. Be patient. The question was whether you can do the pre-save in Show.co even if you don't have your that particular track on uh, CD Baby. Yeah, yeah. Show.co is uh, we run it independently. I mean, it's it's free for CD Baby artists, but anyone can use it. So yeah, there's actually a lot of major labels using that marketing platform. All right, so we're gonna write yeah. write down our yeah. questions moving yeah. forward because we want to get through a few other things and we'll come back and and do some more of that. Um, and you didn't mention how many artists you work with. That's we have like 650,000 artists, so it's a big So there's catalog. a lot of con content going through that, so you get to see what a lot of different artists are doing. Yes, and so we okay. see a lot of cool things, and we see a lot of uh, successes and a lot of mistakes all at the same time. So. Well, can we hold the questions for a bit? Because we've got a lot of stuff to get through, but we will get to you. We'll have 15 full minutes of questions, and you'll be the first one. All right. Um, uh, so we're talking about getting attention span and so, or getting attention in short attention span era. Why do we want attention? We probably are looking for some kind of return on our investment. So 
let's let's just get into that conversation about how do you use this marketing um, to to drive um, return on investment for for the effort. Yeah, I think it's it's something a lot of artists have trouble with, you know, figuring out how to build an audience, but then, you know, they spend all this time and this money doing the storytelling, uh, spending money on Facebook ads, growing an audience, but then it's like, how do I turn that into money, right? And um, I think there, there, you know, there's a lot of uh, different kind of levels of it, uh, depending on the artist, where they are in their career. Um, but I think there's some tactical things that you have to have set up to properly, properly do it. You know, everything, educate yourself on Facebook advertising, on, you know, retargeting on all the tactical things you need to be able to do to drive revenue. Um, but the primary way that we help artists drive revenue is direct to consumer sales. You know, it's, it's, it's a growing market. Generally, everyone's buying more online. Um, and, and the ability for an artist to set up a merchandise store, sell directly to their fans is easier than it's ever been. And if you set up an infrastructure properly and you, uh, and you know how to create product that people would want to buy, um, it's an amazing and new and growing revenue stream for most of the music industry. So that's where we help our artists grow their audience. And the primary way that we help them monetize that audience is through direct to consumer merchandise sales. Yeah, I was going to say that, uh, you know, one thing with artists when they're trying to figure out how to break through the noise and how to, um, you know, reach that audience is I think a lot of times artists approach the market and they don't even know who their audience is yet. And they haven't really figured out who their fans are, what what kind of things they like, what kind of things they don't like, and just really uh, understanding who they're trying to speak to in the first place. Because I think a lot of people just approach the market just as independent artists, they see marketing campaigns out there in the wild and they think, I just need to do that. And and they just try to imitate other things that are happening as opposed to just knowing who their fans are and understanding how to reach them, how to communicate in a way that they're going to understand and, and take action on. And then there are a lot of artists who are established, who have big fan bases, who don't have the tactical infrastructure set up to reach their existing audiences. There's kind of the issues on both sides of the uh, ends of the spectrum. There's artists that are just starting that have, you know, maybe a small audience, but they don't know what the demographics of that audience are. So they don't know how to build on it and expand it. Right. And I think you deal with a lot of mm -hmm. those, um, you know, you're building tools for those artists so that they can find their audience and grow it. And then we deal with a lot of artists that have sometimes massive fan bases um, and they, they haven't built the proper infrastructure around how to reach that audience, how to engage with that audience, and then how to monetize that audience. Um, and that's what we help, help them do. So we talked about, I mean, when we kicked off and talked about sort of checking the pulse on marketing, you both talked about storytelling quite a bit and developing that narrative across platforms and, and both consistency and certain unique opportunities with different platforms. And then we sort of like oriented the conversation around making sure there's a return on investment. But how do you, let's step back again and talk about, so how do you think of a campaign overall? Like you've got a single, you've got an album or whatever, you're releasing some material, a video. How do you actually craft a campaign? What's your, what's your approach, Kevin? Well, I think you've, you first need to start with what, are your, what is your ultimate goal? And I know everyone is artists. Are, my goal is to be famous. My goal is to have a million fans. I'm like, yes, we all want that. But let's let's step back to some real specific goals. So, uh, for example, my band, Small Town Poets, our heyday was in the mid to late 90s. We were signed to a major label. We're still releasing albums independently. But as the world has shifted to streaming, uh, the challenge for us has been, you know, we've got these legacy fans that we need to reinvigorate the catalog on these new platforms. And so 
specifically around the 20th anniversary of our debut album, we did these targeted campaigns that were really meant to engage the audience on these new platforms to get some momentum so the catalog would start rebuilding uh, momentum in a new digital era of streaming. And so one of the things that we did was a big online listening party that, uh, you know, using hashtags, getting the whole community listening uh, on Spotify at the same time. I was posting the tracks as they played. And it was just this really cool event. And at the end, uh, our numbers on Spotify, both with the tracks that were being streamed and artists, uh, the follows, were way up. And so I could really track um, that that campaign was successful. So it started with, I want to increase the engagement of our catalog on Spotify. How do I do that? And then I kind of worked backwards and figured out ways, creative ways to engage the fans in order to accomplish that goal. So I think a lot of artists just don't start with what they're really trying to accomplish and waste a lot of, you know, waste a lot of creativity uh, where they could be employing a lot of creativity to do something if they just had the right goal and work towards that goal. That's cool to hear your perspective as an artist about how you kind of dug into one kind of goal and oriented a campaign around it. When you, uh, Mike, when you uh, are starting a campaign for an artist, you're probably thinking kind of in a broader, broader way about several things. How do, how do you go about figuring out which, which level, level, levers you're going to pull and, and all that kind of stuff? Well, it's definitely different artist by artist, obviously. I think that we come from a unique perspective because typically we're plugged in with the artist year round, you know, all the time. So... You know, we look at campaigns really as these kind of spikes across the year, but we're really thinking about 365 days a year. How do we, how do we always engage these fans? How is there kind of always a campaign? And what is that overarching strategy so that it, it always seems like we're doing what we need to be doing at that time to engage and monetize the fan base? Um, I think that, you know, going into a new campaign to... to piggyback off of what Kevin was saying it's all about what the artist goals are right like what are the you got to you have to whittle down what the goals are there's so many things that could be the goal right and you have to figure out what the actual goals are is it getting you know is it charting you know is it is it hitting a certain amount of uh, revenue on your merchandise sales is it selling a certain amount of tickets because the hardest thing about uh, doing what we do for artists is that there's a lot going on. There's streaming, there's touring, there's VIP ticketing, there's merchandise, there's merchandise at the show, there's merchandise online. There's all these different elements of an artist's career and online and digital and you know mobile and technology speaks to every single one of those revenue streams. You need technology to drive every single one of those revenue streams in this day and age, right? So it's about honing in on for that specific spike in the year for that specific campaign, what are the core goals for that campaign? Mike, would you be up for maybe doing like a little case study or two where you talk about a specific artist, how you how you kind of reviewed what the possible goals could be, what goals you identified, and then how you approached it? That might be helpful to have something more concrete to... Yeah, I mean, I think a good example um, and, and definitely relevant to, to the music tech world is um, we've been working with Amanda Palmer for a lot of years. She's like a DIY superstar, amazing. Anyone who doesn't know Amanda Palmer... Google her, look her up. She's an amazing case study for any DIY artist or independent artist. Um, and she's, you know, she's made a career of, you know, making great music, making great content, but kind of always being ahead of the curve on technology and marketing as well. Um, and she was one of the early artists to use Patreon. 
And Patreon is a platform that enables you to essentially monetize attention from your audience. You, your audience pledges a certain amount of money that they want to pay you for certain things that you do. So people may say, I'll pay you a dollar for every time you post a YouTube video. I'll pay you $2 every time you write a blog post, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I don't know what the number is right now exactly, but she's making a lot of money every time she does something that people have pledged for. Um, and it's an example of something where, to, to, to go back to what I was saying about, we try not to think about campaign, campaign, campaign. We're trying to think about all year round because Patreon really enables us to do that for Amanda because it's an always on campaign. Anytime she's creating something online, we have to figure out how to make noise around it so that she's able to monetize it on Patreon, but so she's able to engage her fans around the things that they want to be paying attention to. Um, so that, that I think is a really good example of the way we try to think about things. We try to find technology that will enable us to have a year round campaign, um, with spikes in it. And, and to, to again, piggyback off what you were saying, Kevin, it's all about looking at the data, looking at the results and then making decisions for the next campaign based upon how you did in that camp, that first campaign. So Kevin, maybe to take it to the indie artist side, um, even more, I mean, I know he just said Amanda Palmer's DIY, but maybe the even more indie <laughs> artist and uh, DIY is starting to mean something different than it did when you first started because artists of all sizes are driving their careers regardless of whether they're doing all the work themselves, um, starting to keep their rights and um, some of them and, uh, and, and just sort of be more strategic about stuff. But going, you know, a little, a little more indie, can you think of some, some interesting examples of a, of a campaign that was kind of uh, experimental or, or different? Something you've seen recently that was kind of cool that, that addressed this issue of grabbing attention? And well, I mean, we, it, at CD Baby, we see, uh, you know, all the time we'll see some artists that just kind of randomly comes on our radar because they have some sort of spike in activity. A good portion of that time, there's uh, a YouTube element to it, whether they've done some sort of creative cover song um, Walk Off the Earth comes to mind, where they, they did the five people and a guitar. Uh, I forget what the exact name, title of that. The it was a Gautier song. Yeah, it was a Gautier yeah. song, but I forget what the, the title of the exact title of the video was called. It was like five people and a guitar, something like that. Anyway, uh, that went crazy viral, and suddenly the band is getting tons of attention. And all they did was this fun, interesting thing together as a band. I mean, it could have been that nobody cared, but they had a good time doing it. Um, but uh, just really connects with people and suddenly everyone is really interested in what they're doing. They they're, um, uh, had all these imitation videos or tribute videos or people doing the same thing and to the point where people probably thought they wrote that song. And we see artists doing that kind of thing with cover songs all the time where they do some interesting take on it, whether it's timely, um, like if they just time it where you know, a new Adele album comes out and they're doing an interesting cover like the day after it comes out or it's just a part of what they do. That's, that's something that we've really seen work well for independent artists on an ongoing basis. Um, I think the other thing that, that we see with artists on, on the independent level is that they'll have some success somewhere and they're sort of unsure how to leverage that success onto other revenue streams or other platforms. We've seen this a lot with YouTubers uh, where someone will do a fantastic job of building an audience, a diehard audience on YouTube, and uh, there'll be a music component, and they, hadn't, they haven't even distributed the music. They haven't even made it available for them to buy. Um, there's this artist we've been working with called uh, Ninja Sex Party, 
they they their their audience are gamers and they're totally in the gamer world on YouTube and they do all these cover albums and uh we've done several uh we we approached them and helped them distribute their music but they were like hey we think your audience would be interested in physical copies then for them it was like we're YouTubers why would we make physical copies YouTubers don't people that like YouTube don't buy CDs and uh we did one uh pressing with them and they sold 50,000 copies and then and they said that they would sign each one so they had to sign 50,000 copies which which hurts your arm a whole lot and takes months to get done so uh this time this week we had a presale where they thought we want to sign a whole lot less but we don't want to make less money so they charged $35 for each signed CD and uh they're at like 19,000. I think that's where they were going to cap it. And that's over uh, $650,000 for them. And so it's just a lot of these artists it's like they'll start seeing success in some place and not really understand the opportunity or how to leverage that into other avenues of revenue, which is what's been great for us to spot those people and help them out. And just to be clear, if I'm correct, Ninja Sex Party is the group that if you could basically imagine Mario Brothers, the video game, the Luigi and Mario rapping, <laughs> a lot of profanity. Uh, and junior high, high jokes. Yeah, that's what they're selling, okay? So but go, got go buy a record. You can get a signed one if you yeah, hurry They up. got huge fans in the, in the community of people that like to sit and watch people play video games on Twitch. So uh, there's all sorts out there. I think that's, that's a great example of direct-to-consumer money on the table for yep. a band that did not even know that that money was there, and now they're making close to a million dollars a year off of it. And I think that's true for a lot of YouTube uh, stars and, and artists that are making money solely off of like an online platform. They're not thinking about how they can monetize with merchandise or through a dire direct connection to their audience other than that one medium that they're having success on. Um, and I, I think there's a lot of money on the table yeah. for a lot of those. One of the biggest problems we see with artists uh, is that they're just under monetized. I mean, yeah. they'll, they'll see success. And, you know, that's why we have this publishing administration service now called CD Baby Pro Publishing. And we see artists have success. And then we have to go back and try and reclaim a lot of royalties just because they weren't set up for success in the first place to fully capitalize on the revenue streams all across the board. So, so that's a service where an artist can go and, and register their work with ASCAP or BMI through CD Baby? Well, they, they can register with them, but we, we collect the mechanicals, okay. which, which uh, ASCAP and BMI don't do. So for example, if you for every $5 you make off of, uh, say, Spotify, there's about another dollar of mechanical royalties in publishing that's available to artists. So a lot of these revenue streams are very new, very different from the mindset that uh, you know, the old school industry where it's basically I made money when I sold a disc and that was, you know, especially as an independent artist, if your music wasn't on the radio, selling CDs at a show or online, that was, that was it. It was real simple, easy to understand. But now in a digital world, there's so many different ways music gets used, so many rights involved that you just got to make sure that you're tapping into all of them. And there's new ones coming online all the time. That's great. You guys are, that's like such yeah. a big problem. I feel like for up and coming. It artists. is, it is. Doing that. So it's interesting. We keep going into monetization when technically this panel is about getting attention. <laughs> and so there's probably people who are like, okay, but what if I don't have an audience yet? And so maybe we could differentiate a little between those artists that already have an audience and how to like grab attention or capture money that's on the table versus artists who are still trying to build their audience. Um, you talked about storytelling earlier on. 
Um, I think something we could get into a little bit more is, is how to, what that actually means because uh, a lot of times with storytelling, we talk about it and it's sort of like icing on the cake, but nobody ever talks about, well, how do you build the cake? Um, what, 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 are some, what are some things you think about to like actually, before you have an audience, what are some things, maybe, I mean, you could talk about specific bands you've seen or maybe some specific tools that are out there that you like to see independent artists use. Well, one thing that I think uh, I always see is, and as an artist is releasing an album is that you need to stop. You need to figure out what is unique about you, your story, your music. And I always relate this back to my uh, local paper. Um, every time they feature an artist, there's always some story angle to it that has nothing to do with music. And I actually took a screenshot of one I saw recently it was like local mechanic releases album and as an artist we don't typically want to bring forth those stories sometimes we're we're kind of like no I'm an artist I don't want people to know that I've got a day job or that there's this other part of me because legitimate artists don't have a bigger story uh, and so sometimes I think we get in that trap but when you're trying to build an audience and connect with people who have no point of reference those things are gold those things make instant connection and uh, uh, provide context that otherwise isn't there and also sometimes gets people to champion you early on like uh, and and tap into groups that you wouldn't even think want to support you um, we see artists all the time that become known as i'm the artist that you know every time you know i mentioned that headline, local mechanic, like every time the mechanics union gets together, they have me play or something like that. There's these weird connections that we see artists really tap into these communities. Um, uh, there's uh, an artist, um, the slants who's been on NPR and the news in general, a bunch over their uh, trademark issues with their name. But uh, I was talking to Simon, the lead singer once, and they're huge in anime conventions and all these anime conventions, they get paid tons of money to play and even though you may not, they're not a household name, they're making serious cash just tapping into these markets. So I think finding those connections and those story points, and sometimes it's something that's unrelated to your music that is the connection into a community. Yeah, I think that that is the storytelling paradigm thing, right? It's like you have to figure out what the broader context is beyond the music and who you're speaking to, you know? And I think that the headline you just talked about is the perfect example. If you're an up-and-coming artist... Uh, and you play, you know, rock and roll. There are tons of other up and up and coming artists that play rock and roll, but there are not that many other up and coming artists that are a local mechanic that yeah. play rock and roll. So it's like, what can you do to figure out how to zoom in more on your niche? And and the niche doesn't have to just be the music. The niche is the audience that you're speaking to, the people that are interested in what you stand for beyond just what you're saying in your music or what your music sounds like. And you know, this is why, by the way, there are so many talented people that are amazing musicians that don't make it in the music industry because they don't figure out that other part of the equation. It's not just about how amazing your con your, your music content is. It's just not. And in, in the era of social media and digital marketing and digital platforms, it's even more so about your ability to uh, you know, make it above the noise. There's so much noise on these platforms. You have to figure out how to break through. You have to ha figure out how to find that headline that catches people's attention. It's funny. Since I do PR, we interview a lot of artists and help them develop the stories that these guys are talking about. And sometimes artists think they need a press release that looks like a press release from 
other artists they've seen or headlines from other artists they've seen. And so these frequently are replicating, looking at similar types of adjectives. And what you end up with is a lot of hype and a lot of adjectives that don't have a lot of meaning. And there's no soul, there's no heart, and there's no authenticity. So I think sort of what you guys are getting at is that it's that authenticity. What is it, what's the, true, the truest truth about yourself, about whether it's your music, your personal story, your career, but it's not, it's not the awards, it's not who you've been on stage with, it's, it's not you, exactly who you sound like or who inspires you, although all that can go into it, but that's not like the ultimate pitch. Uh, ultimately, it's something that comes from like, what makes you you, what your contribution is to the earth. And sometimes it's got an actual mission, but sometimes it's goofy. Sometimes it's, it's cartoon uh, video game profane, you know, profane hip hop, you know, it's, <laughs> you don't know, but, but like it's, it's what makes you stand out. And actually part of the issue is if you're creating music that sounds like, you know, hundreds of thousands of other artists, what is going to make you stand up? If you think it's your photo shoot, you know, it might be, but you're really a model who sings at that point, right? You also need to have some music too. So I think that's, for us, when I interview artists, we talk about, you know, what got you started in music? Um, what were your, what your influences along the way? Not because we want to talk about their influences, but to get a sense of where they're coming from. What else happened in your life that influenced your music? We go through every single track and we talk about what are the musical influences? What are some interesting hi hybrids or juxtapositions musically that are happening? But also what are the lyrical foundations? And if you got nothing there, if you're like, I don't know, I sat on, I wrote this shit, I recorded it, it was good, I was happy, <laughs> done. Then you start to say, okay, well, what's been the impact of that song? Have you ever played it for somebody and gotten a reaction? Action? What have fans said? What happened with your band when you were on tour in a van when you guys started chuckling and singing that song and making up goofy versions of it? You know, like you just go down the rabbit hole and think about yourself as a storyteller rather than as a pristine press kit that's already done, that's already got the gloss. And so anyway, I'll stop. Sorry. <laughs> I could get on. I wrote a whole book about this. Um, but um, but that, that's why I think there's, there's two primary ways to do it that I know of in the digital space other than the music itself. Because you can create a single and it can break through on the strength of the music alone but it doesn't happen that often right so you have to have amazing music that's number one but you can do it through amazing storytelling building that story what's your headline what sets you apart and then how do you tell that story um, but then also again going back to the medium as the message how do you use technology in a unique way to speak to your audience so that you stand out how are you going to be the person that finds that new piece of tech that actually helps artists and that that helps you break through the noise you know, we got a couple minutes before we're going to open a Q&A. That's a great segue to just maybe something cool to do would be to throw out some specific platforms, apps, tricks, things that, that maybe you're using right now or you've seen artists use recently that like these guys just want to know about because they're new or they're different or you, you've seen them used differently. What do you got? I mean, show.co we already talked about is an amazing one. Um, just to give more props to, to CD <laughs> Baby. Um, so that is, an, you know... Freely accessible, uh, you know, I think it costs money to use, but it's accessible to anyone to use. You do not have to distribute your music necessarily through CD Baby. That's a great tool. Uh, Canva, Why don't you just say real quick, so you guys mentioned the, um, the pre-release component of that. Uh, what, what, other, what are the other features that showed up that you like? Um, there, basically, there's the ability to capture data and then have, have leverage your, basically have visibility into your data in a way that what, you... Get, what's an example of some data you might find in there? Um, you can see, basically, you can pull Facebook insights across your fans. You can look at where people are. You can, you know, basically off of an email address, you can capture data and then leverage that data to reach your audience. I mean, you can probably speak to it better than I can, but uh, yeah. I, I, I know it's a data acquisition play and it's a marketing yeah. technology suite of services tools that are for marketers and artists. 
Yeah, basically, it's geared around trying to get your fans to take a specific action so you can actually, you know, track data. So instead of sending your fans to premiere a new YouTube video, sending them to YouTube where YouTube's doing everything in their power to distract them from your video and send them all sorts of places, it strips all that out and creates, uh, if, if you're trying to feature video, creates a, a landing page that allows you to control the actions you want fans to take. So, and it does it across all sorts of different uh, platforms, but really geared around trying to get fans to take an action and, and being able to understand the results of that. We wrote, we wrote a, a white paper that's free on famehouse.net about all the different technology that we use, there's, and there's tons of... We, our whole business is based off of leveraging third-party technology for our artists. We don't build... We, we hardly build any proprietary tech, because our, our concept is that there's so much amazing technology out there, we're going to use the best of breed and cobble it together and, and, and use what's best for so that artist at Were you going to mention another one? Um, yeah, there, I was going to... Yeah, there's a few. Um, on the e-commerce side, Shopify is amazing, um, an amazing tool. Um, you can kind of have, you know, Amazon-like shopping experience for your fans, which I think is pretty incredible. Um, we, we have a custom stack on top of Shopify that we use for most of our web stores. Um, Canva is another amazing tool that we've been using that, that is quick and easy um, kind of graphic content creation for, for social media channels. So going back to the storytelling paradigm and, and how do you create your story well it has to visually look good too and canva is an amazing tool so like that. if you're always like oh man i wish i knew photoshop or illustrator you can just jump on canva and like put a lyric and a photo and you're done put yeah. it, post it yeah exactly do you have any other kind of platforms or apps that uh the, the one that that i think artists should be using more and along the line of storytelling is instagram i see a lot of artists building audiences really quickly with that um and uh hashtags allow you to really tap into audiences that one i think is still a platform that's still running pretty much as it initially intended where facebook you know you pretty much have to pay to get eyeballs on anything these days but uh i i, I like to me i i follow a lot of artists on instagram because i think it lends itself to that storytelling quality where it's visual and um it it really helps you people who do it right you really feel like you are engaged and drawn into the story of that artist and then as an artist just use all the tools that those platforms provide like facebook insights is an amazing tool you can see exactly who your fans are and where they where they are spotify you know for artists their insights tool is incredible you can see who your fans are where they are what they're listening to i mean you know, using that data is really the key to engaging and growing your audience so and all those tools are freely accessible yeah I'll just throw out, I also started a company called StoryAmp, storyamp.com. And if you're a touring artist um, and you want to get your tour dates out to local press in all those markets, you can put all your tour dates in and it automatically sends out three notifications to journalists in each town. So there's a free version and there's a $30 a month version, but you can put as many tour dates as you want in there. So um, I want to make sure we have enough time for Q&A. Are you guys cool if we go over to Q&A? Shalita Burke, will you please stand up? <laughs> you had a question about show.co, but I wouldn't mind you also talking a little bit about your perspective on attention. Uh, I mean, Shalita is an artist and a, and, a, and a data scientist, and she's got a mic. Yeah. Okay. So my question for you guys is very simple. So there's artists that are starting out, and then there's developing artists, and then you have the people that we consider like the, you know, already made it artists, right? There's a difference between marketing budgets for the developing artists versus the ones that are in mid-tier. What are the range that you've seen in marketing budgets that contributes to their success or d doesn't contribute to their success? 
good question. Yes. Um, it's unfortunately the answer is that it's across. It's yeah. it's all across the board. I mean, I've seen you know artists have a lot of success with zero dollar. You know, mm -hmm. they put a record out and it just catches fire for whatever reason, right place, right time, right sound, and it just happens. You know, I've seen people pump a lot of money into things that don't work, you know? Um, so it's, it's kind of across the board, but I, I think the best answer is um, to utilize as much as you can that's available out there in the technology space because like some of the things we just rattled off, there's a lot available now and you can have a pretty robust infra online infrastructure and marketing infrastructure for very little money now. And it's about, again, it's about utilize setting that infrastructure up tactically but then how do you use it to break through the noise and that comes back to again the music the storytelling and the medium is the message i'm going to use a little trick that i use when i'm interviewing artists and ask okay. you a question say where did that question come from the follow-up question is an important part of developing your story i want to get behind this question that you asked and say all right are you negotiating a record label deal uh, and somebody is giving you a marketing uh, budget are you just like man it's such a pain in the ass i'm doing everything i possibly can maybe i need to get an investor and put more money into it or what where did your question come from the question came from, I actually take a lot of data on different segments of artists, and I've actually seen correlation data that aligns with ticket sales. And I've seen the artists that are developing artists, not the ones just starting out, that their ticket sales actually increase based on certain data points within Spotify. And so that question came from that. Place. But you asked the question about marketing budgets, didn't you? Yes. Yeah, so how's that relate to the... Because all of those artists that I found that are selling more tickets, that are getting more streams on Spotify, have bigger marketing budgets, except okay. for two. Gotcha. So I've queried thousands of artists. I see. You're trying to see what's the pattern there, and you're wondering yes. if it has to do with the marketing spend. Yes. I mean, and generally, says, you know, the more money you have, most likely the more opportunity you have for success. I, I would say that that's like a general truth in just business, I think. Well, but I thought but the more money you have, the more opportunity you have to either spend it well or spend it badly. Well, that, that's, that's basically that's what it is. <laughs> you have Size to know how to coin, spend right? it well, right? Yeah, but I think you, the opportunity for success is greater if you have the money. I, I was just going to say real quick that to me, when you're, when you're an artist and you're thinking about the, the budget, the marketing budget isn't just dollars. There's time, money, and creativity. And I think all of those have value in that. Some artists have a lot of time on their hands, no money, and a lot of creativity, and they can do a whole lot more than someone just throwing dollars at something. We got another question back here and then up here. Hi, whoa, that's really loud, <laughs> damn. That's a good mic, that's good, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> my name's Anthony, I'm a director of digital marketing at DJ City. And I also have been doing digital marketing consultation for 10 plus years. Um, my question for you guys is, have you seen any great campaigns uh, to get engagement on playlists like Spotify playlists or Apple Music playlists? Have you seen any um, interesting, unique ways to build those up? Because it seems like everyone's doing one now. And, uh, you know. Kevin Kevin's the host of the DIY podcast, and he did an interview a few months ago with a guy named Charles Alexander, who will tell you exactly what you need to do to get on Spotify playlists. This is a ridiculous podcast. I can't believe the guy <laughs> gave away as much. I mean, his, he's a Spotify Charles Alexander. What's it, out of the box? What's his company? Uh, yeah, streaming out of the box in Nashville, and uh, he will tell you everything. It's ridiculous. Yeah, my question isn't how to get. My question isn't how to get on playlists. It's how to market and leverage your playlist if you're a brand. Oh. So we have, we're a DJ uh, service provider. We, we're a subscription service for DJs around the world. 
and we also have a playlist just to kind of promote our service. So I'm wondering if you've seen artists have their own playlists, brands have their own playlists, labels have their own playlists. Just curious if you've seen any unique ways to promote those. Yeah, we had a cool campaign. Um, my oldest client, DJ Shadow, who, you know, he's my mentor. I got my start with him. We did a campaign around uh, his last album on Spotify. Uh, he created a playlist um, of music from songs that he had sampled which I thought was really cool. So he took, he took some of his most famous songs across his 25-year career um, and then built a playlist of like the top, it must have been about 15 tracks you know, that he had sampled for some of those songs. And I thought that was, that was a really cool, interesting angle because it was complete, you know, it's, it's a mix of like funk, soul, rock and roll music, a lot of it from the 70s. And you know, people, don't, people generally don't know that music. So it, it was a, a way for people to discover new music but that had relevance to him as an artist, which I thought was, it's an interesting, you know, there's not a lot of artists that could do that. You have to be a DJ or, you know, producer that samples other content, but I thought it was an interesting angle to get people to go to engage with DJ Shadow on Spotify around music that wasn't his. Yeah, I think that that's a great idea that I've seen artists doing. Uh, a couple tips, I would say, uh, not as much a strategy, but um, one, as an artist, I would focus on building one playlist and building your fans around that. You can change the name of the playlist and what's in it and the cover art for it at any time. So it's like, okay, now you've got everybody following you. Another thing is that um, instead of, you know, when you're posting like you have a new single or something, instead of linking to the single, actually put that single in that number one slot of that playlist and link to the playlist because then your fans, they'll hear that new song and then they'll keep streaming the rest of your catalog or whatever so you can use that playlist as a shell that you do whatever you want whether it's here's the songs the artists that we are listening to that influenced this album or here's tonight's set list this you, you can use it as this kind of rotating playlist that you engage your fans with that you know then you can use to feature tracks and get them engaged with your catalog however you want i've seen some artists collaborate on playlists too where they put together like compilations almost in dialogue together every other song or every third song and then co-promote it so that you take each other's audiences and share them together what's you got nothing to lose yeah that's that's another good one like yeah think about your local scene are there like 20 bands that you know or 20 other artists collaborate on a playlist and and all and have everybody share it to all their fans and that way you can leverage uh, the whole community we got a question up here we're gonna go quick so you guys can ask more sure. questions yeah hello hello um, first, love the podcast. Oh. You put a lot of great content out there oh, for thank free, you. and we love you for it. Thank you. Um, my question is this. Uh, I understand my demographic. I, I see who shows up at my shows. Um, I'm interested in knowing, are there any tools out there that I could look at other artists that I think I might be similar to and see, okay, look at where, where are they campaigning hardest? Where are, they grow, where are their audience growing? Where are they getting the most streams? You know, so... I think a lot of artists understand marketing a little bit, but you know, and they can see what other artists are doing. But getting more granular, getting mm -hmm. more into the data, and uh, without having to pay a fortune for so it. So you already know who the artists are, and you want to see there their data, or you want to find the artist and see the data. No, well, so twofold. One, I know there are other artists that I think that their fans would respond to my message and my music. But then there might even be an op a further opportunity for artists I don't even know about that I should be kind of gravitating towards. Yeah. So. Yeah, next big sound. Yeah, is, that's what I was gonna say next. Is the, yeah. the the other trick I'd say, as far as like finding smartest that you may not realize, sound like you. I like uh, going to Pandora, putting in my band name, and seeing the bands it recommends for that station because that's a cool way to find 
artists that you didn't either didn't know about or didn't realize, oh yeah, they, our audiences probably are very similar and being able to kind of see what they're doing. It's like a musical DNA test. It is. Yeah. Could you hand the mic to the woman behind you, please? Genome. Nice. Um, thank you. Great advice. Um, so you've talked a lot about a, a lot of direct-to-consumer digital tools. If you're going for a slightly older audience, and you just called DJ Shadow old, so older than that even maybe. <laughs> um, I didn't call him old. Okay, so he's your oldest years. client though. Uh, huge DJ Shadow fan. That makes um, Mike old. So if you're going for people, a lot of people come to my shows are like 50s and older. They're they're not using the cool tech tools. They're maybe using YouTube. They're not using SoundCloud. That was interesting. That was a failed experiment with that crowd. How do you reach those people? Is it still paper or radio? Like, what, what's the best? You know, as a p publicist, and we work with some music that would be considered an older demographic. Um, touring is one of the best forms of promotion, and not all artists can tour. Um, and you don't necessarily have to tour all the time, but getting out there and actually meeting people in their markets makes a huge difference. If you can figure out if there's a festival circuit, and I'm not talking about a Bonnaroo, I'm not talking about a Lollapalooza. It could be a local type of community-based festival. If there's a, you know, if it's a blues thing, if it's a jazz thing, whatever, you find out what that is and tap into that, those can be huge audience building opportunities, especially if you leverage them correctly. She's got a suggestion. <laughs> Use the mic. If you have an older audience, one thing to think about, like I'm talking 65 plus, think about that the new adoption model for you know their sons and daughters and what have you and their sons and daughters, like basically the grandkids, is they're giving the elderly iPhones because iPhones are easier to use than Android for new adoption users. And so think about doing a Facebook targeted campaign to people that are new adopting to technology. So there's Facebook groups for that, but they don't know about Facebook groups, right? So you target their sons and daughters, basically. Like this is the target demographic. You can also, I mean, you can target 65 plus on Facebook too. Right. I bet you there's because a lot there's of- Because it's a huge- yeah. Right, yeah. But, you, but no, not just Facebook though, but you take, you, you put Facebook ads to only iPhone users. So that's your audience demographic bucket that you put inside the campaign. And then you can look at certain brands that they've liked and then run that campaign against those brands based on the likes. Cool. Using data. Did you guys basically. have any other answers on that one before I we think move that's to the last great. question? That's a great specific example. But I mean, you know, first of all, a lot of the those people you're talking about are on Facebook and they're on they're on other platforms too. They're on YouTube sometimes, you know. So it's just about finding based on what the exact audience is, not just based on age, but based on, you know, what their interests are, where they are, you know, and, and figuring out a way to reach them. An inexpensive way to do it is definitely Facebook. Yeah. A more expensive way to do it is radio. Yeah. I, I would say also that uh, it, it was good that you said you tried an experiment. I mean, sometimes with these audiences, you have to try some things, and failure is good as long as you don't keep repeating it. As long as it's learning, you realize, I don't need to focus there. Honestly, at CD Baby, we've seen a lot of folks who are selling really well to that demographic that a lot of them are huge on Pandora. Um, Pandora... Uh, a lot of the, the older audiences are listening to music on Pandora, and uh, we see folks like piano players just make tons and tons of money from Pandora, and that's where their audience is that is trends older. We're going to take one last question and wrap it up so you guys can go get the coffee break. Brim. Facebook changes the algorithm and therefore you can really no longer get good organic reach once you become a paid advertiser? 
I cannot substantiate that, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me, but I cannot substantiate that. All right. That's my quick question. Thank you. For you know, in response to that, though, something we're finding on the, the business side, not so much on the artist side in Facebook with storytelling to go back to the very first comment Mike made at the beginning of this panel about storytelling is that if you, if you do a promotional type um, ad on Facebook and spend money to get your engagement and so forth, you'll get, you'll get some engagement. If you do full-on authentic storytelling and put a, a, like a tenth of the amount of money behind that post, you're going to get this combination where it exposes you at the beginning using the ad, paid advertising, but then the traction and the sharing is built on top of the authentic storytelling. That is how you can kind of game the whole uh, algorithms are controlling my audience kind of thing. You put a little bit of money into that and then push it forward. All right, one last we've got thing, our guest. Well, one last thing I would say is yeah. that <clears throat> on Facebook, I mean, they, they make it very clear. They, they love video, and uh, they feature videos more than they'll feature anything organically. So if you're creating video, especially if it's getting shared, it will have a much, much higher organic reach than just posting a blog article or a photo. So I mean, Live, live video. Yeah, live know? video especially. If they're, they're really going in that way too. So if you click the live, go live button on Facebook, like the app, and you instantly get featured in most of your fans' feeds because they really want users to engage with live video. I know I keep calling on our guest panelist, Shalita, here, but uh, she's done a lot of this data science. So what, what was your thought on the... And then we're going to wrap up. So one really big Facebook hack to think about is there are videos on Facebook, as they said, that are actually getting a lot of traction that are also royalty free. And so what you do is you go to Facebook and look at the biggest viral videos and post them on your Facebook page and just say your caption to that video and that will drive traffic. And then if you wanna put five to $50 into the Facebook ad system, it'll actually get you more organic views on top of that. Wow. Because Facebook is a business and they promote the most popular content. So if you're posting the most popular content, you can make commentary about the most popular content. Does it make sense? And Shalit is a hacker. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, right, yeah. Uh -huh. You guys have any closing words before we wrap up? Anything you wanted to get out there? Or you, you good? I'll, I'll be around all day if anyone wants to chat. Check out his podcast, DIY Musician. Yeah, DIY Musician Podcast. And any, anything else you want? Any shout-outs, Mike? Or? No, I mean, I think it's a, it's a good time to be in the music business, good time to be in the music tech industry. Uh, and, you know, streaming is exploding. I think direct-to-consumer is exploding. So everyone should be excited. And I'll be here the rest of the day, too. Happy to talk to anyone. The, um, uh, the, those of you who are with music tech startups, my company, Rock, Paper, Scissors, has a booth in the exhibit hall, and we're giving away free 15-minute consultations about PR for your startup. So they go fast. So... If you're interested, sign up. Other than that, round of applause for our panelists, Mike, Kevin, and Shalita. <laughs> Thanks, guys.